How are you all? You guys look good. I'm just waiting for a table. If you know me very well, I, I might just do this. No, Rob's coming. Okay. Okay. There we go. Thanks, buddy. You might get a raise. <laughs> I do um, really want to thank you for being so kind and welcoming and loving to Lisa and I and um, Anna and Jacob her last weekend. I just, it feels good. It feels right. It feels how the family of God should be, how the family of God could be. Um, and so we just deeply appreciate that very much. And uh, I was talking to someone this morning, and they were like, so you were working at that other church for like, what, a couple months? And I'm like, no, it was, it was four years. And like, four years? They're like, wow, a lot's happened in four years. Like, didn't the world shut down four years ago? I'm like, no, that was two years ago. So, but it's good to be back. Um, yeah, there's a lot more there. But I'm just going to start here. One of the things that I really, really enjoy doing and I really, really miss um, is going in and being with Lisa's classroom, her kindergartners. I often get to read a book to them, and she's taught me over the years to not ask their opinion about the book because all sorts of things come out, right? Like if I say, oh, are there any questions, and the hands go up, I'm like, yes, Johnny. One time, whenever like a response from a kindergartner starts with one time, it has nothing to do with the topic at hand. It's like one time I went to Disneyland with my uncle, and Lisa's always like, just stop asking them questions. So I got to read, I read books to them, but obviously during the past couple of years, I haven't had people in the classroom. But one of the things I really enjoyed was a season of my life where kids would come and read to me. And they read these books, and I got to hear them, and I, and I often was like, what's going on inside of their head? What's their mindset? And what we used to do every once in a while, if a kid uh, did, you know, read the book, and um, it didn't really matter how they did. It wasn't about, like, if you read this book well enough, you get something. Just come and read. And they had, like, little erasers or little pencils they could grab. And, and one day we had a little, uh, not as much time as we had before. And so I said, if you just, t today we're just going to read half the book. And it was, like, 10 pages. It wasn't, like, a serious book. So either, what do you want to read, the first half or the second half? So every kid is like, oh, I'll read the first half, and then I'll give you the prize. There's one little girl that came over and sat next to me. She's pretty quiet. And I said, we're going to read either the first half or the second half, and you get a prize. And her wheels started turning in her head. I'm like, which, which half would you like to read? I said, read, all you got to do is read half, and I'll give you an eraser. And she looked at me with a voice that was much lower than a 30-pound, three-foot-tall kindergartner should have, with a bit of an intimidating accent. She looked at me and she said, I will read both halves and get two prizes. <laughs> I thought, what is going on inside of that girl's head? I told that story to Lisa and she goes, that doesn't surprise me at all. Welcome to my life. That phrase, I wonder what's going on inside of their mind. I wonder what they were thinking about. It's a pretty common phrase we can throw out. And there are certain actions and behaviors that cause us to think that at times. Maybe it's people that we're in relationship with. Maybe it's our kids. Maybe it's somebody who's behaving in such a way that doesn't make any sense to us. And when you think about it, the Apostle Paul had a firsthand experience around how his mind even changed. 
and the things that he was confronted with to really go after, why am I doing what I am doing? He had firsthand experience around mindset, around a different way of approaching things. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul was a little bit of a menace. I mean, early in his life when he was Saul, his mindset was to destroy the movement of Christians, to destroy these people who were following Jesus. So the confrontation that Jesus had with him was a face-to-face, why are you doing this? It changed his mindset. And then Paul becomes a menace to Satan because Satan doesn't really know what to do with him. He uh, gets him locked up in prison and the jailer becomes a Christian, right? He, he, he's in prison, so he starts writing letters and he, and he changes how people think and responding to the gospel. And then he lets him out of prison and like whole continents come to know him. And then they, if they would kill him, he'd get a martyr's, a, a martyr's acclaim, a martyr's honor and glory. But Paul's mind and the things he talked about was having different kinds of ways of thinking was a firsthand experience to him. But when we talk about mindset and the ways we're thinking and the ways that he challenges us to think, these words can feel really heavy for some. Because it might feel like another obligation of something I'm supposed to do to gain God's favor. That is not what we're saying. It's an additional thing of reminding me of what I haven't been doing well, potentially, and what I need to do well now. So I want to recognize that. That some might take these words as like, oh, this is one more thing. It's not one more thing. Because when the Spirit of God works, it always goes from death to life. From something that is dormant to something that is awake. So when we're challenged and encouraged to think differently, it goes from a way of stagnant to life. And over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to patiently go through this part of the letter of, to, to the Philippians. And when I say patiently, it's going to sound familiar because a lot of us know these verses. And when we see something that feels familiar, like we talked about last week, it's pretty easy to kind of go, yeah, I got this one. I know how this one ends. And familiarity can actually block transformation in our life because we start to go down different paths. So I'm going to encourage you, be patient with me. Take one phrase at a time. Take one line at a time that will build upon each other. Because these words that Paul shares describe a relational posture of a follower of Jesus that is anchored in our union with Christ. And God dwells in us by his spirit that's nearer to us in every breath. Let me read this to you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish or ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In relationships with one another, and this is the one that can feel heavy, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you accepting 
your presence with us. Holy Spirit, you are in us. And God, I just want to recognize on the outset that there are some who may read these words of Paul and it might feel heavy. It might feel like another expectation that I'm now I'm not only supposed to try to do the right things, I'm also supposed to act like Jesus acted. I'm also supposed to think like Jesus thinks. Man, I, I, I don't know if this is possible. So God, I pray this morning that the words are not just a transference of information. It's not just a reminder of things we may already know. But God, I'm asking for your help for all of us. I'm asking for your help to help us change our minds to how we think, to what we think. That even though we lay out something that seems so hard, you're saying it's possible. God, may we be people who identify how hard things are, but also realize the Holy Spirit that's in us is the same spirit that rose your son from the dead. So I ask for your help. In your name, amen. There's a parable from the world of public health. It goes like this. You and a friend are having a picnic by the side of a river. Suddenly you hear a shout from the direction of the water, and a child is drowning. Without thinking, you both dive in, grab the child, and swim the shore. Before you can recover, you hear another child cry for help. You and your friend jump back into the river and rescue her as well. Then another struggling child drifts into sight, and another, and another. The two of you can barely keep up. Suddenly, you see your friend wading out of the water and seeming to leave you alone. Where are you going, you demand. Your friend answers, I'm going upstream to tackle the guy who's throwing all these kids in the water. You see, there's this lure to only deal with the issues that are right in front of you. To only see the things that need to happen right then. Now, in this parable, of course, kids who are drowning, kids who are in need of help, need to be addressed. But there's a bigger issue at hand as well as I need to see what's happening upstream of where all these kids are coming from. We are so much see the things in front of us and react, react, react. But Paul is calling us to something bigger, something different. And like almost all of Paul's letters, which fill the New Testament, he's responding to either letters or requests that he is getting. What Paul is not doing, if you read his letters, is simply coming up with a list of new rules and obligations that he thought of on his free time. He's not sitting in prison and going, I wonder what I can get the church to do. What he's doing is responding to the things that people are asking him. Responding, what do we do? How do we navigate this? And in so many ways, they're like, how do we deal with this problem? And Paul answers it responding like this. He pulls people to a bigger experience, something bitter, bigger. He casts a vision of how it might be different. And then he directs them to something that is literally impossible and yet somehow possible. This idea of mindset gets talked about a lot, and there's a lot of books and a lot of things written about how to have the right kind of mindset. You may have read some of these books. You may have been challenged by them. 
we can get distracted with the things that seem most pressing right in front of us. From the Nobel Prize winning psychologist Dave O'Common in his book, Thinking Fast and Going Slow, he writes this. The normal state of your mind is that you have intuitive feelings and opinions about almost everything that comes your way. You like or dislike people long before you know much about them. You trust or distrust strangers without really knowing why. You feel that an enterprise is bound to succeed without actually analyzing it. You see, we are quick to jump to conclusions because we give too much weight to the information right in front of us while failing to consider the information that's just off stage. And Kara Dweck also addresses the mindset. And this, her thoughts and theories and evaluations and mindset are often done in schools. She brings up these ideas around certain school districts. There's like a high school in Chicago that instead of giving uh, kids failing grades, they got a grade of not yet. Now, some of us are like, they get the grade they deserve. And so you have a generation of people saying this or this, but her thought is like, are we developing someone who has a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset? She says this, we often see books with titles like the 10 secrets of the world's most successful people crowding the shelves in bookstores. And these books may give many useful tips, but they're usually a list of unconnected pointers like uh, take more risks or believe in yourself. While you're left admiring people who can do that, it's never clear how these things actually fit together or how you could ever become that way. So you're inspired for a few days, but basically the world's most successful people still have their secrets. Instead, as you begin to understand the fixed and growth mindsets, you will see exactly how one thing leads to another, how a belief that your qualities are carved in stone leads to a host of thoughts and actions, and how a belief that your qualities can be cultivated leads to a, a host of different thoughts and actions, taking you down an entirely different road. Mindsets, how we think. Are we preoccupied with the things in front of us? Are we have a fixed mind of this is just how things are? Or do we have the ability to grow? I like these words, growth. I like the words change, broaden, that there's more off stage. If you're around me very much, I like to say, what are my options? When someone comes to me and says, do we do this or that? I said, what else can we do? I don't like the narrow framing because I don't think Jesus says it's either this or this. I'm like, Jesus says there's so much more. I also have learned to love the word perspective. I was in my early 30s. I was a youth pastor here. We were in a, a staff meeting and one of our elders came in to, to teach us and to encourage us. He was in his 70s, I believe. When you're in your early 30s, you don't really know how old anybody is. He could have been 150, he could have been 40, I'm thinking 70s. He had less hair than I did and it was grayer. No, that doesn't mean I'm in my 70s. <laughs> it's just how I thought, but I think he was in his 70s. The wisdom that dripped out of his mouth, the things he said and how he said it, I didn't have a grandparent that talked like that. I was mesmerized. He was slow in his delivery. 
He talked about this and that and all these things. I can't even remember the context, but I remember afterwards going up to him and I said, can I ask you a question? Yes, of course, Dale. And I'm like, what's the biggest difference? Now I know the answer, okay? But what's the biggest difference of being in your 30s and your 70s? Now fill in the blank with all the things you may want to say. But he looked at me, he, without missing a beat, he said, perspective. The things you're worrying about right now are probably not the things you're going to be worrying about then. Not because they don't matter. You just start to see a bigger picture. You start to see how things actually work themselves out. I was ready to walk away, but he's like, there's more to the answer, Dale. This is another difference between 70s and 30s. Our answers aren't as short as yours. Like, okay. A couple things around perspective. You can't fast track it. There's no cutting corners. You can't read a book about perspective and all of a sudden get there. It's something you live. It's something you assess. It's something discovered over time, lived out in a loving community with other people. It's seen in following Jesus really closely and asking him how you would want, how he wants you to respond. And when you mess up, just look at, see how Jesus did the same thing because he experienced everything we experienced. At this point, I was like a puddle. And I was thinking, how do I get there? But you don't just get there. Now, if you're younger, you're like, okay, that's not fair. And I'm only like halfway there in between those two times. But what I can tell you is that this idea of perspective, you're not left to yourself to learn about it. That is the heart of God all of the time. That is the heart of community all of the time, is pulling back and seeing more. Let's go back to scripture for a moment. And addressing the differences that were tearing at the people, he was obviously addressing this group of people of Philippi. They were having a difficult time. They were reacting and responding and fighting with each other. He says this, he kind of piles some things up. He says, you know what, be like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Paul's words are not simply like, hey, just patch things up with each other, say the right thing, say you're sorry, like we say to our kids, like, what do you say? Sorry. You know, that we learn the words we're supposed to say to get out of things or to move forward with things. It's amazing how often that pattern as a kid being taught to say thank you and sorry continues on into adulthood. You know, it goes into marriage, right? We say and do things like, I just need to apologize without actually changing my heart and mind around it. But he's saying, don't just take these shortcuts. Don't just be nice to each other. Don't just agree with each other. But there's something deeper. There's something upstream that is happening in your lives. There's a deeper cause. We need to be unified in what's informing our thoughts, what's informing the mindedness. You see, the Spirit always moves from death to life. And Paul's words were to be like-minded in the source of their thoughts. Unified on what's informing the things you're looking for. 
This is one of the core things of why we gather. It's not to receive them as some kind of now we're all sharing the same thought, but pointing to the person, pointing to God who's the source of how we think, the source of what we think. Now, even that phrase, you're like, I don't want someone to tell me how to think or what to think. I'm a free thinker. I'm my own person. God isn't interested in you simply replicating his words. What God is interested in is a transformational life for you to really see life for the first time. He wants people to share the source of their thoughts. What we do in today's society is we find somebody else who just thinks like we think and we navigate to them and the divide in our country is greater than it's ever been before. The idea isn't just to find those who think like you. The idea is to go to the source and be affected by that and be informed by him. Paul's mind also just about those thoughts need to be put into heartfelt action. Mental agreement doesn't last very long if it's not heartfelt. And like-minded in their purpose. There is a call for the church of God or friends or a marriage to be soul and soul together. Not just details, not just beliefs, not just things that I know, but souls attached. Now, you could probably answer this in your head. Why do we resist soul to soul? Because the soul is that innermost place, is it not? And we have learned over our lives to protect that soul, to defend that soul, especially when we've been hurt there before. I have. I've been protected. I've been saying, I'm not going to share this inner part with you because when I have, it's been bitten. So for a little while, I say, God doesn't want me to talk to you, which is a really funny thing to say. But we protect but what's laid before us is soul to soul. Henry Nouwen makes an interesting observation around this. It's his book talking about leadership. And though he's referencing leaders in, in specific here, I think it applies to a lot of us, if not all of us. He writes this. The long, painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, and being a leader over being led. Those who resisted this temptation to the end and thereby give us hope, those are the true saints. But one thing is clear to me, the temptation of power is great when intimacy is a threat to the individual. Much Christian leadership is exercised by people who do not know how to develop healthy, intimate relationships and have opted for power and control instead. Many Christian empire builders have been people unable to give and receive love. Give and receive. Soul to soul is giving and receiving. What becomes really, really hard is when you're just giving. In order to receive, somebody must return it back. Now, we also have the enemy telling us it's prideful to receive. 
Like, don't receive, like, just be beyond that. That's the lie that the enemy uses me on all the time. Like, don't receive this back, like, push it away. But God uses so often brothers and sisters. He uses other people to actually communicate to us. Sometimes we go, that's a little weird. I've had people come up to me and say, I have a word from the Lord for you. And I'm like jokingly, well, I got a word from the Lord for you after too. Let me hear yours first. Because if it isn't very nice, then I'm going to return it. Now, I didn't know what to do with that sometimes. I didn't know what to do when somebody says, God wants to tell you something. Because in my mind, in my history, in my growing up, I can control that. Like, I'm just going to read the Bible and that's all that's going to happen. Until something different. Until all of a sudden the same people who didn't know each other had never met each other. They lived in different places. They lived in different times. And they started saying things to me that was all exactly the same. It would start the same way. I have, God wants me to tell you something. And it was the exact same phrase over and over and over again. And I think God was up there, Dale, will you just receive this? Because God uses people to do that. One of the great challenges of the past two years has been, and I understand for so many reasons why we had to do this. Our church in San Francisco, we didn't have a place to meet. We met in a school, and the school shut down, and we did not even have an option to gather together. We did a few things in parks where we gave communion to each other, and so we watched from home like all of us did. And there was a time and a season where I was watching from home. I mean, I recorded midweek and then I'd go home and watch. It's really a trip to watch yourself on TV. And I'm like, oh, pastor, you're bringing it today. And Lisa would look at me and like, you are just loving this. No, I hate every moment of this. But the thing that was missing was the words from each other. Because God uses his people to help them be like-minded. I mean, we could text. I mean, that's kind of what we did. Instead of meet and greet, we're like, hey, text somebody you know right now. And so those were comforting words, right? It was good, and we did what we could. But as we come out and move forward, hopefully, with the grace of God, it's the words that we share with one another. It's the promptings on our heart of like, hey, go up to this person and let them know that I love them. Ask them if I can pray for them. It's those kinds of things that we need to cultivate and move forward. It's hard. And what this past couple years did in so many people, it revealed the difference of something just keeping us busy and something actually helpful. What I mean by that is this. So often we have so many things going in our heads, right? Things about work, things about life, things about relationships, frustrations, hurt, all these kinds of things. And we stay busy to keep those at bay. We keep doing things. Sometimes we would call them, oh, they're relieving stress. They're really just our distractions, right? I used to say that, like, I'm going to relieve my stress. I'm going to go to a ball game tonight. I'm going to do something that gets rid of this stress. It didn't get rid of anything. It just deviated my thoughts away from my stress to something else for a while. But inevitably, when I went back and got in bed, it all came back. 
what the past couple years did for so many people is the things that kept us busy, the things that helped us push those things to the side was no longer available, no longer accessible to us. So it all came up in our head and we didn't know what to do. And it literally caused anxiety and stress. <coughs> and we were trying to move forward. Same thing happens when you're even going into some solitude. Maybe it's a spiritual discipline. I'm going to spend a day away and just enjoy myself. Then all the stress and pressures of life come up. You're like, this is the worst day of my life. i got to go back and get busy again. But God is calling us to say, let it get to your brain. Let us identify and purge. The Psalms are so full of that all the way through. David starts with, where in the world are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? And then he puts voice to his soul and starts purging and identifying those things and gets rid of them so that by the end of every psalm, almost every psalm that David wrote is like, oh God, you're a good God. In our mindset, my friends, we have to identify those things that are actually against like-mindedness. They're actually fighting against soul to soul. They're actually tearing apart the ability for bigger, for perspective, for upstream. It's heartbreaking. Paul did not lay this on us to have one more burden. He didn't lay this on us. It seems impossible. I mean, if I was having a hard time and somebody discovered it to me, you know what, you just need to be more like Jesus. I'd be like, ah, you're right. And so what happens is when we hear that too much, like, you just got to do this. I see it. We start to disengage, like if I just am not part of the family of God, I don't feel worse about my behaviors, so it's just easier to do this. What's so important to know, my friends, is the thing that Paul put before us is possible. If nothing else today, I want you to know it is possible to actually have the mind of Christ, the mindset of Jesus. It doesn't mean you've got to this point of elevation. It means the Spirit is working in you. The Spirit doesn't need us, though, to take extra effort. It just doesn't take extra work from you. He actually desires less work from you and more of Him. He's trying to break the chaos, bring shalom and reconciliation in your life. This isn't a to-do list. This isn't, I just got to try harder. This probably really is much more of, I just need to let go and clear the decks a little bit and let God be who God wants to be. Being really specific in our conflicts, in our frustrations, where we seem to not be talking the same kind of language, I think it's really important to do a few things. One, identify, like literally identify what are we disagreeing about and what I have found to be helpful is not let that stay in my brain, but say it out loud or write it down. I am disagreeing with this about this. What are you really dealing with? Verbally declare whatever you want and then decide, okay, that's a real thing or not a real thing. Have you ever had a conversation or an argument with a head with somebody else, but you've played the whole argument out in your head? I say this and they're going to say this and I say this and they're going to say this. And you're like, man, that person is such a jerk. You actually had a conversation with them, but you have filled in the blanks of everything. Part of this is saying identify, 
Write it out. What is it that's bothering me? And then identify those thoughts for what they are. Are these harmful or are these helpful? Say it out loud. This is harmful. This is helpful. Then if it's harmful, if it's something that actually is pulling life from you, you need to stop feeding it. You need to starve it. Because the anger, the bitterness, it needs fuel to continue. If the spirit is in you, it's trying to dismiss it. But if you keep feeding it, it's going to keep growing and there's a conflict. It could really just start by listening. And then affirming what you have heard. It doesn't mean it all gets, all gets solved in one sitting. It doesn't mean it all gets solved in, in one conversation. But it's important enough to start. In a moment of, uh, of transparency from me, and it's my desire to be transparent with all of you as often as I can. Because there are times, you're like, what do you mean as often as you can? Sometimes you're not going to be transparent. That is correct. Because there are certain things you just don't really need to know about me. But when it matters, I will be transparent as much as I can. One, what do I have to lose? Nothing. Secondly, we're either going to do this honestly and well, or we should just stop doing it altogether. You might say, what is it? Church, life, following Jesus. If you're not going to do open-heartedly, there is a very distinct reason in the Bible why it keeps saying to forgive one another, because we keep giving reasons for people to need to be forgiven. We keep acting in certain ways where we need to do that. That's my heart. About a year ago, maybe, about a year ago, March, maybe, a yearish ago, Dan Yoder, the head of the elders, texted me, called me, I don't remember, reached out to me and said, hey, Dale, would love to come over and talk with you. True transparency. I had no interest. Dan's a friend. I liked Dan. He was a good guy. I had no interest in talking. Because he was, you know, I just didn't. In my mind, I had moved on. I didn't even know what he wanted to talk about. He could have come over and said, hey, what do you think about those 49ers? I seriously doubt that was the conversation. In fact, I knew it wasn't going to be the conversation. But I had my heart guarded around all sorts of things. To be honest, I had the whole conversation played out in my head ahead of time. And I felt really motivated to say a few things. So Dan came over. Dan was over at my house for about three hours. He sat in my back patio. It got a little colder than he thought. He probably wished he would have brought a jacket. I think he said that next time I come over, I'll bring a jacket. I'm like, next time we come over, I'll make sure there's propane in my fireplace for you too. The whole conversation just started out as, hey, Dale, tell me some things about what happened. Tell me whatever you want. I just want to hear it from you. That wasn't the question I was expecting. Now, when he asked me that, and when you're asked that, there are truths and there are truths. 
What's not true is that all of the facts that I have in my head are the things that really happened. What is true is this was my experience. This is how I saw things. This is my perspective. And I could have also lost my way. Then I'd say, let me take that back. I did. And Dan's like, okay. About halfway through the conversation where I'm just sharing and getting things out and saying this, and this was my perspective, this is how I saw things, this is what I experienced, this is how it, he was crying, I was crying, I was hoping my neighbors weren't going to walk by, because there's two dudes in the backyard just crying. It was better than a future conversation where they asked me to come to Pete's and said, we also want to have another heart-wrenching conversation at Pete's where I was at Pete's for three hours crying and my friends are coming by and walking and I'm like, I can't even go to Pete's anymore. <laughs> I told this to my staff in San Francisco when I was leaving and some of them thought it was funny so they gave me gift cards to Pete's. <laughs> go back to those places of pain, Dale. And I'm like, I got it. But the beauty in that conversation was a beginning. It was a beginning of just identifying, here are the hurts. In the middle, we stopped and prayed. He repented. I repented. I confessed. He confessed. He left after those hours. I was exhausted. I brought up so many things I'd never thought I had to deal with again because I had them put away. That was the beginning of hours and hours of conversations over long periods of time. And that conversation wasn't about a job. It wasn't, it wasn't about like, hey, will you do that? It was just listening, praying, and responding. That was the beginning of like-mindedness being restored. That story is not unique to me or to Dan. That story is the story of all of us. Because there are conversations and there are things to be identified within all of us that need to get out. Or the like-mindedness of Christ is impossible. We're presented something that's impossible yet possible in relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I say impossible because I fall short all the time. I forget, I get defensive, I protect my sensitive emotions, and yet it's possible. This is the very work of the Spirit, from death to life. Impossible because I'm standing here today. Reconciliation, God doing his best work, even if you're in a situation right now where you think husbands, wives, kids, friends, work, whatever it is, even if you think it is impossible, just as Paul with full confidence could talk about a change of mindset because he himself experienced it, I myself have experienced reconciliation and I want you to hear it is possible. It is real. And God's waiting there for you. This isn't about being right because I was wrong in so many ways. It's about all of us bringing the mindset of Christ to the relationship. 
In another letter, Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Something new is possible. You see, there's a growth mindset. Seeing the bigger picture, having perspective are all nice aspirations, but they're all rooted in the mindset of Christ. Because the mindset of Christ is moved by the issue at hand because he wants to change it with the bigger picture altogether. An actual healthy assessment of how you think comes from this. Haggai 1.7, give careful thoughts to your ways. 1 Timothy 4.16, watch over your life and your doctrine closely. During this season of Lent, as we anticipate and look forward to Easter, I'm going to encourage and challenge you to do assessment in your life, to think about what's in there, not as a source of guilt, not as a source of being overwhelmed, but that you may become victorious by identifying. This life isn't about navigating hurt. It's not about navigating stress. It's about identifying, purging, and letting the spirit come in. Because I can be fooled into thinking that my inner life is intact by staying busy. And you can fool yourself with the same kinds of things. Your inner life is not intact because you're busy. Your inner life is intact when you actually breathe and purge and let God in. During this time of our sermons, and this part has become so important to me, it is so important to me that the, when I came in November to preach and then you voted like American Idol or something like that, sorry, I can't help myself. I really can't. Sometimes I'm like a five-year-old boy. If you laugh at something, I'll say, I got something else funny to say. We did listening prayer. And then last week we did listening prayer. There's going to be a theme to me. We're going to do a lot of listening prayer. Why? Because what I don't want to do is preach a sermon, and they'll be different. You're like, oh, you're the guy who quotes people sometimes. You're the guy that teaches this sometimes. You tell funny stories often. Hopefully it's, you also teach God's word, yes, all the time. And in the same way, my hope is that we don't just preach and then like, hey, sometime this week, think about this. All right, like that's what we do. Like, hey, this week, here's some questions for you. I'm not, I'm not, dissing that at all. I kind of am. <laughs> what I want is for the conversation to start right now with God every week. Like, I, I want that conversation to begin. Because if we just close and you leave, I, I'm just hoping I said something memorable enough for you to remember again. And I want you to have the conversation now. To start. I can't even imagine gathering without doing this kinds of thing. I'm going to lead you through a listening prayer and lead you through some time of listening. And we're going to take communion, which would be a regular part of our response as well. It's just hard for me to gather as a church and not respond. I'm going to invite the worship team out as we go through this. I find it incredibly helpful. And this is your option. I am never going to make you do something you don't want to do. I find it incredibly helpful, especially during this season, why I'm intentionally trying to receive better as I put myself in a posture of actually receiving before God.
and my palms are open and my palms are up to God and it helps me. I want to encourage and invite you in to do the same kinds of things. If you want, I would encourage you to have your palms open before God. This past week, one of our staff people, Jason, whose focus is facilities, came into my office and gave me a gift and it was, I want to read these verses over you. It was one of the best moments I've had in months and years. I've never had somebody from facility staff at any church I worked at come in and just say, I want to read this over you. And it was my friend. I think these words are also for you. So in a posture of receiving, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn away from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. I invite you to take a posture before God. Listen to your breath a little bit. I say that because our breath is what gives us life, life from God. What is God saying to you through the words, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset? What's God saying to you about that? Is there a relationship that needs mending? Is there a situation that's causing anxiety, stress? Take a moment, ask God to bring it to mind. Pretty sure it's already there though. Ask God, God, what, what's the first step you want me to take with them? Ask God for courage to do that. Invite him into your thoughts. One thing you can say is something like this, Father, help me to have the mindset of Jesus, your son, toward this person today. And then you can say something like, Lord, help me have the mindset of Jesus towards this person again tomorrow and the next day. Speak to us, God. May we not just be hearers of your word, but doers. Father, pray your blessing. I pray the conversations continue with you. Amen.